What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 85. This week, we're talking to our buddy Ta- uh, from Tactical Approach Outdoors, Austin Stone. We got into some summer trail camera stuff for locating early season bucks. We got into how much intel uh, from the summer you can actually put into practice when it comes to the fall and a whole lot of other stuff. He's coming off a big weekend in Kentucky of scouting on his way to his whitetail slam that he's hoping to accomplish this fall. So we're going to get into all of that stuff. But first, we really appreciate you guys when you, if you support the podcast. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in anyway. But if you want to, if you enjoy it, go ahead and support us. Uh, and you can do that a few different ways. One way is to go check out our partners at GrandpaRayOutdoors.com. Grandpa Ray Outdoors specializes in providing the best nutrition for whitetail deer on your property, starting with the soil. They've got a full line of high-quality food plot seed and plant foods uh, with over 14 different food plot blends to choose from. You're not going to have any trouble finding what you're looking for, whether that be fall and spring blends, corn and beans, switchgrass, liquid fertilizer, soil test kits, you name it. When it comes to food plots, they've got it. Now, they were started in 2015, but John up there has been in the business since 1991. They're not just about selling their products. They'll answer any questions you have about what blends would be best for your specific property. That way you can achieve the best results possible. They're not about a fancy label or package either. They're about good quality seed and taking care of their clients. Like us, John and his team don't believe in a cookie-cutter approach to wildlife nutrition, so they're going to treat you and your situation individually. We've used their products uh, on our own properties, on client properties all over the Midwest, and the results have always been as good as advertised. That's why we uh, started partnering with them in the first place. That's why we're going to continue to do that, uh, continue to use their seed on our own properties and on client properties as well. So, again, you can check them out at GrandpaRayOutdoors.com. Use the discount code RHOPODCAST, that's all lowercase, no space, and you'll get 5% off your entire order there. Uh, that really helps us out with our partners, and it's going to help your deer herd out. So make sure you go do that. Also, Rodney Hawkins is our other partner for the podcast. If you're looking for your own piece of ground to manage and hunt and kind of put some of these principles that we talk about into play, then Rodney's the guy to talk to. He grew up hunting and fishing in Southern Illinois, and he's now putting that love for the outdoors into selling recreational properties as a land specialist with Midwest Farm and Land. Midwest Farm and Land isn't your average real estate company. While they do do residential stuff, things of that nature, they specialize in those recreational properties. In 2022 alone, they sold over $85 million worth of ground. With agents like Rodney all over Illinois, they're really a local company with a national reach. For more info on them, anything that's available, getting your property listed, finding a property for yourself, contact Rodney directly at 618-925-3153, and he'll get you taken care of. Also, Rodney's got his own company called RG Outdoors. He's currently carrying products from Radix Blinds. He's carrying Camo Dust, which is an all-natural scent elimination product. He's got Burner Self-Defense Weapons, which are pretty sweet. We got to see them in studio when he came in here for the podcast. And he's also got tax camp trail cameras. He's bringing in new stuff all the time, too. So if you're interested in anything they have to offer, you can send them a message through their Facebook page, RG Outdoors. You can email them at rgoutdoors at yahoo.com. Or again, just call Rodney directly at 618-925-3153. You can follow us on social media at Ridge Hunter Outdoors. It's Facebook and Instagram, the ones we use the most. We do have a Facebook group now, RHO Podcast Patrons. So make sure you're joining that if you listen to the podcast regularly. Even if you don't, you can still join it, and then you'll kind of see what we got coming up, stuff like that. Our website is ridgehunteroutdoors.com. If you see anything on there that you like, uh, whether it be our scents, whether it be apparel, food plot seed, anything like that, uh, use the discount code RHOPOD. That's all caps, no space, and you get 10% off everything in your order there. If you're listening on Apple Podcast or Spotify, just go ahead and follow us on there and leave us a review. That helps us out a lot, and it doesn't cost you anything. doesn't take much time at all, so we appreciate that. And then same thing on the YouTube channel. If that's where you listen, uh, if you keep up with our videos there, if you want to keep up with our videos, subscribe, hit the notification bell, like, and comment on anything there. So without further ado, let's get into episode number 85 with Austin Stone. This is the Rich Hunter Outdoors Podcast. What's up, everybody? We got Austin Stone back on. We were debating, and I didn't check whether this is his third or fourth time. We think it's his fourth time back on, but like I've said before, we are definitely not scared to return guests, especially ones that we like. So we got Jeff tonight in here, uh, me, Canyon, and then we're talking to Austin Stone from Tactical Approach Outdoors. If you guys do want to know more, kind of his backstory and stuff like that, he he was on episode, it was somewhere around number 80, I believe, was the first one, or 70, was the first one you were on. And uh, you guys can go back and listen to that, get a little background on him. 
Um, today we're going to get into some other stuff, but uh, I know you're coming off a big weekend, Austin, so how's everything going? You're still kind of uh, riding the high from all the car- the card pulls? Oh yeah, it's I'm I'm riding high ever since we we found we located those two bucks. I mean, it was a heck of a a weekend. Um, it was funny. I was kind of joking with my brother. We kind of went into the weekend thinking that these specific locations we ended up moving to, we thought those cameras were cold mm-hmm. because I had a I had a cell cam out there and it wasn't transmitting, and I I just thought that um, that area was cold and we were going to pull those cameras and move over to another location that we were getting pictures of bucks i mean not mega bucks but they were decent deer you know mm-hmm. for early on in the growth period and um coming to find out those cameras that we thought were cold are actually the hot cameras i mean we we located a super nice nine point real wide clean typical um on this ridge system um, close to some ag fields and actually part of the property that we've never scouted before. This is a brand new part of the property for us personally. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, this other buck that, that we located, we got out there on day two and I had an SD card, um, camera out there, non-cell cam. Um, all the other cameras around it, the cell cams I had around it were only showing young bucks and does and fawns and whatnot, nothing, nothing decent. So I was curious about what this card pull camera would show. And man, it, it popped off this, um, mega 10 point. I mm-hmm. mean, gnarly, big, heavy bases. And he's running with a wide eight point also looks a little bit younger than he, he is, but, um, yeah, it, Ever since I found those, we, we found those bucks, we made the shift. All I've been thinking about is, okay, what's the wind going to do in that area? Mm-hmm. You know, how are they going to go about moving through those specific bedding areas and and whatnot? So I, I am definitely still riding that high. <laughs> For sure, man. That's awesome. So uh, when you talk about these bucks and, like, the sign you're finding and um, where they're living, what kind of gives you the idea that they're staying there uh most of the time like before first of all like before you went in and set your cameras what made you decide to set them there in the first place and then obviously you know you guys went in this this weekend and moved a bunch around why did you kind of why did you put them where you did after that uh, based on what you already knew so first of all we'll go to um why, why you set them there in the first place i guess okay um, um the first thing i wanted to do is i wanted to find high traffic areas on multiple different part portions of the property so i think overall by the time i got done setting cameras a little over a month ago i had five different portions of the property actually covered Mm -hmm. and high traffic areas um there was a few locations that produced for us in the past so we have ran cameras and hunted on this property in the past but it's been a couple years so I, i i took that intel and set cameras in the locations that we knew produced in the past to see if something else, if something was maybe the bucks that were there two years ago, were still there or mm-hmm. something new showed up. Um, and then I had a couple, I had some curiosity spots I wanted to go to and just see what was out there. So my initial set was all about trying to cover as much of the property as possible mm-hmm. in locations that I think that the big bucks are using you know, just, just knowing kind of what, what I, kind of what I know about the property and how the big bucks use it initially from historical data. Um, so I wanted to cover it as much as possible and just try to get eyes on something. Mm -hmm. So that, that was the initial set was high traffic areas. Um, there's a couple field edge cameras that, that we set that, um, did produce one of the field edge cameras did produce, um, on that big nine, I got him multiple times on that camera middle mm-hmm. of the night, but he was there mm-hmm. and, and it was in line with that cell camera that wasn't transmitting. So, um, that was kind of exciting to see kind of what, maybe what part of the ridge that he might be using the most. Right. And, um, um, for the, those cameras, I would, I was hoping I was going to get daylight movement. But all I wanted was just to locate something and then go from there, whether it be middle of the night or middle of the day, whatever it be. Mm-hmm. And 
And the cool part though is both that 10 point and that nine point I got midday. Mm -hmm. So um, what I was, would think when it comes to midday movement like that this early is we're really close to his main core area is that they're really not going to venture far this time of year. It's too hot and they're going to stay pretty close to where they feel safe. Mm -hmm. So if I'm getting midday movement like that, I feel pretty confident that I'm really close to where I need to be. So that, that was a big tell Um, both that nine point and that 10 point were midday movement. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, so that, that was for us, the second trip was all about adjusting to what we found. So knowing that we located a couple bucks, um, we accomplished that mission for the first set. Now it's time to take the cold cameras and move them to the hot areas. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, so basically what I'm doing is I'm cluster setting on these bucks. I'm setting as many cameras as possible in high traffic areas, you know, creek crossings, ditch crossings, main points. Um, if you've got some water sources, which every time I find these big buck beddings, we've got some kind of water source really close by, mm-hmm. especially this early. Right. So, and then we're also, after we locate, we're like, okay, where's the main ag? Where's the north facing slope, you know, for the leeward? side of the ridge for the wind you know how is he going to go about moving if we can find his bedding how is he going to go about moving out of that bed to crop fields in a most direct manner mm-hmm. so like they're still going to wander but they're not going to wander nearly as much as they will in the fall right right so so that that was the the kind of plan going into this weekend was like okay we we need to take find the cold cameras and take them out, move them. Mm-hmm. We, and especially since we got these bucks located, we've we cluster set on these these two located bucks. And one of them, the ten point, we actually found his bedding. That that was a big find yeah. for us. Yeah, for sure. So since you uh, found his bedding and <clears throat> kind of their main travel core area. You mentioned water sources. Since you're going to be hunting in September there in Kentucky, are you going to set up on a water source to try to catch him there, or what's your, what, are, what are you thinking on that? Possibly, yes. So um, if I can – so with, with this 10-point, I'm going to use an example since we got him um, kind of pegged when it comes to bedding. He is bedding behind this um, pond, this pond bank. The, mm-hmm. it, you've got about 100 yards – to some main ag fields to the north and then you, you can go up the ridge to uh, another main ag to the south um but he's right next to a pond bank it's a it's a bottom in this creek bottom um filled with stinging nettle and a lot of good browse mm-hmm. in that bottom and um where this particular pond bank there's some serious converging trails mm-hmm. on it so where we got the the pictures of them was on a creek crossing, not 20 yards, probably from the edge of the pond, just dead down the pond bank a little bit. So mm-hmm. we moved the camera up on top to see if we can maybe find some hidden movement on that pond bank. And it's very huntable with great, with great access. It really would not be difficult for me to get in and set up on him on that pond bank. So if that's the case, then yes, I want to set up there. I'm trying to locate a spring in the hills um, for this big nine point. Mm-hmm. I, I thought I ha- had one located um, and we showed back up this, this time around, but it was after a big, a really heavy rain. So it was hard to tell right. what was a, a spring and what was just standing water. So right. we, I feel good about what I found a, a month or so ago, but um, so I'm going to keep an eye on that. And I do have a camera set close to it. So if I could find a little hidden water source like that up in the hills, then yeah, I'm going to be more likely to kind of sit on it or even, or just sit super close to it. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like on the 10, you got the perfect scenario in place then. Yeah, it really is. I mean, he's the, and the cool part about him is it seems like he's got a smaller core mm-hmm. range than the nine point, which would make him more patternable and um, more huntable basically. Right. 
Yeah, especially so. like where you're opening up on September 2nd down there, you're essentially going to be hunting – uh, the same with the same strategy as you're setting your cameras, right? I mean, pretty close to it. Yes. Obviously, you have to yes. take in wind and all that for where you're setting up, and you're already taking into account your access, I'm sure, uh, being that you're hunting them so early. But essentially, that's what you're going to be doing because they they should still be on those same patterns. Yeah, they should be. So um, the the only kit, the only difference is there. I do want to be careful with with my trail camera set, just because I don't want to bump them out mm-hmm. checking cameras mm-hmm. so so i i want to get as close as possible figure out how how close i can get without disturbing him and adding too much disturbance so mm-hmm. my, my hunting strategy will be very very similar to my um trail camera placement for right. sure mm-hmm. and the, the only the only difference is on the big not nine point what we've got is coming out of the the hills we're trying to locate which point he's using predominantly. So, so we've got a few cameras set up on main ditch crossings down in the creek, down the bottoms, right before he crosses over into the main ag field. And we set them up a lot like we did just because we're trying to catch which ridge he's using more, more often. Mm-hmm. And if we can figure that out, then we can more than likely – that just bounce up the ridge and he, you can bet that he's betting, you know, up towards that top third right. uh, of that ridge up on a bench up there. Mm-hmm. So you, you can kind of make an educated guess on, on that if we can locate which point he's using more often. Right. So let's kind of change the scenario a bit. And maybe you have something like this. If say you're getting this kind of activity on your trail cameras uh, for a state that you're going to be hunting starting in October instead of the beginning of September. Um, and maybe you do have some cameras out in like Kansas or some Missouri where you're going to be hunting in October. Uh, but what would your, how would your strategy change then? Um, because as you know, like we all know that the patterns at some point in September are generally change uh, more to their fall patterns. They become a lot harder to find and they're not going to necessarily be in the same places that you saw them over the summer, but you do still know they're, there and there's a possibility of them being in that area so let's say you have this same situation but instead of being able to hunt on september 2nd now you got to wait till october 1st how would that change things for you so when it comes to that scenario um more than likely i'm not hunting the same buck Mm -hmm. because there's a good chance that that buck is going to shift to a different location during his fall patterns mm-hmm. normally what what you're going to find is that the a summer buck that you've got on property might not be the fall buck that you've got on property you right. know what i mean yep so um, what i'm going to take from that is i'm actually going to figure out how the herd in general uses the property so where, where the main pinch points are where the main funnels up in the hills and in the thicker stuff you know how the deer prefer to Mm -hmm. use the property as a whole as a herd in general versus a one specific buck you know what i mean yep absolutely because yeah so so if i could figure out okay well a mature buck early season prefers to bed in this general area well there's usually a reason for that Mm -hmm. so what's this going to look like possibly with a vegetation drop once Mm -hmm. the leaves drop and the weeds kind of die off What's this going to look like come fall? So I, they're not going to stay in the high stem count areas right now because mm-hmm. they're protecting their velvet. But where is a high stem count very close to where they're currently at? Right. You know what? I mean? So so that that would be something that I would pay attention to. Um, and, and, you know, the, the pond is always going to be there and a spring is always going to be there. And that's always going to be valuable. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, where are the main uh, mast trees at that point? You know, we're not hunting hard mast right now, but we will be come fall. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'll get these pictures and I'll see, okay, well, here's a main funnel that I'm getting a lot of pictures of, you know, decent bucks and does and they feel comfortable here. Now, where's we're some high stem count and main hard mast, so oaks, mm-hmm. in that general area. And, and that's kind of how I'm going to use that information right now, if I'm not going to hunt it until October. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And 
especially like what you're talking about, you're not looking for a specific deer's activity, but just kind of overall how they're using the property. And I yeah. think that translate uh, translates a lot into private land too, not just public ground, uh, especially that part of it. Because guys that maybe they want to run cameras on their property all year, uh, they get excited about a buck that they're getting in July, and then they never see them in the season when maybe they shouldn't necessarily be paying attention to that buck, but how that buck and all the other deer they have uh, on the property are using that property, and then that's information they can take into the fall um, when it mm-hmm. comes time to actually be in a tree and when their patterns have shifted. 100%, because they're going to, you know, a buck can shift miles. Oh, yeah. From a summer range to a fall range. You know, he could be completely on a different property. Mm-hmm. And, and and may venture over to his summer grounds at some point during the rut. Yep. But that's not going to be his core ground, mm-hmm. basically. So um, if you can figure out kind of how they prefer to use that property, where they feel safe, you can take that in- information and put that into your your fall patterns. Because the, the does don't really matter about the high, high stem count. Right. At the bucks do right now mm-hmm. so you, you could so the does the doe bedding really won't shift as much right. where may, may the buck bet bedding is they're bedding in some weird spots because you've got grown-up grass and weeds and whatnot where then they're going to shift into, into the thicker mm-hmm. nastier stuff you know once the leaves start falling and they become hard horned yep yep i think that's uh, you made a good point there too is where a lot of times bucks that you have in the summer if you do see them again, it'll probably be during the rut because maybe they know there's does in that area. So if wherever their fall range is, either the does aren't in heat yet or they've ran out and he's cruising, going and looking for, uh, going on an excursion like they generally do in the fall, a lot of times that will be back to their summer range. And I think there's a lot of research on that. But so that's even a, an equation where, like you're talking about with the doe movement staying the same, if you can find out where your does are moving – if you don't have any other bucks show up in the fall for whatever reason, but you know that one was there in the summer, or maybe you just uh, you live out of state or something and you only have two weeks to hunt in November, maybe you key in on where the does have been using your property, hoping that that buck comes back to those yeah. areas where the does are using it. And I'm going to throw a different scenario at you too. Um, with this pro- property in particular, so I've ran, I think, I didn't run cameras last year, but the two years prior to this, I ran cameras all year. So I got summer all through winter data. Mm-hmm. And what happened was the bucks that I was getting in on their summer patterns, you know, typically they disappeared right toward, towards the end of September, but they returned towards the end of December. Mm-hmm. And I started getting them pictures on the same cameras that I was getting pictures of them during summer. Right. Yep. So, so there's a possibility. I mean, not, I'm not saying that this is a foolproof plan, but it's something that I did um, observe on this particular property that we're on is that the bucks actually did that particular buck did return to his quote unquote summer ground once the late season started to pick up a, l- a little bit. Mm-hmm. So um, it was interesting, but you know when he shifted out another buck did shift in, you know, and typically yep. it was yep. maybe, maybe a bigger buck or, you know, more aggressive deer or, or whatnot. But, um, that, that is something to maybe think about while you're running cameras during the summer is maybe he can tip you off to some late season movement where if you've got a tag still in your pocket, maybe you go back to those su- summer routes and see if you can locate him again and then shift back into a little bit thicker cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I think, the value probably of, of the summer trail cameras. But really, uh, when you're talking about places you can hunt in the fall, I don't think you can put enough emphasis on running your cameras, uh, taking the data from year to year from your cameras that you run yeah. through the fall. Because those yeah. deer, a lot of times, and the their fall range is going to stay the same, and their summer range is going to stay the same. So maybe your neighbor's getting the bucks that you're getting in the fall on his camera during the summer, but they're still coming back to you. So if you know where he was using your property the previous year and you weren't able to get on them, you can go back and use that more than you'll even be able to use uh, the summer data. And then that even running them through the late winter, I think what you're talking about there is you might find those, those deer that are coming back early uh, or some deer that are just moving in late, whatever it may be. You might have some pretty good information there as well. 
Yeah, and and you know that that is the cool th- thing is that I've t- typically found that throughout the enti- entire year, there's a reason the deer are in a specific area on property. You know, mm-hmm. like the the bed the bedding might shift a bit because of the vegetation change, but they prefer to stay in this part of the property because for some reason they feel more safe there right. than than elsewhere. And you, you know have, what I mean? Maybe you have this to... particular. I'm sorry. sorry. Go ahead. I was saying just maybe they this particular ridge doesn't get hunted as much historically. Mm-hmm. So so that ridge could stay hot throughout the year. You just have to shift a little bit to find the daylight movement. Right. And I think also uh, in the fall, especially whenever you're getting closer to the rut, you have to take into consideration the human factor too. 100%. Uh, you know, I hunt 25 acres that borders public ground. And the 25 acres I hunt is privately owned, but you got public ground right up against it. Mm-hmm. And what I've noticed, I can have all kinds of bucks in the summer on my pic, on my cameras there, but then about the second week of October, they start disappearing. Yep. And then they completely disappear whenever you're talking after Halloween. And yeah. That, and then they might show back up again around after Christmas, you know. And I think whenever people start beating the bush and, you know, the public land hunters and stuff, there's a goose refuge about two miles from where I'm hunting that is forbidden for anybody to set foot on during that time period. And I think that that's where the bucks go and the does also because you just can't hardly find a deer there after after the 1st of November. Yeah. And so, so like... What I was trying to say is you got to, and what you mentioned, you got to figure out where them deer feel safe at, you know, and that's where they're generally going to go. Like in my instance, I feel like that they feel safe. They've been around there and lived around there long enough. They know if they get to the goose refuge, well, then they've got it made for a month and a half. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's, we've observed that with a property we hunt here in Missouri is, the property produces every year. I mean, it's got really great genetics, really great deer, but it gets hunted really hard. Mm-hmm. So by, by the time November rolls around, it's been hunted so hard that most of the deer have actually moved on onto private land. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to find a core deer on property, you know, much less a mature buck that's staying on property other than a random move through during the rut. And, right. um, um, where, and that's just what, what you said, you know, you, in that instance, maybe you have an early hunt, you know, that mm-hmm. that's where your historical da- data run cameras is okay. I've got till X weekend that these bucks feel comfortable on my property before typically they disappear. So right. that, that's where maybe you, you know, you got to jump on them a little, little bit sooner where like this property, if we wanted to find a more patternable deer on property, we got to jump on it mm-hmm. as early as possible. So, um, before they really start getting pushed around, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, a hundred percent for fall. When it comes to fall patterns, I, I take more, um, stock in historical debt data, you know, cameras I ran last year than, mm-hmm. than it was cameras that I'm running necessarily right now. Right. Especially if it's a property I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you're talking about we're talking about pressure kind of a little bit there. How much are you expecting to see? And based on what you've seen in the past on this property, uh, early September, how much pressure are you expecting down there in Kentucky? It gets hunted hard. Early, yes, early. Yeah. It, um, a lot of non-ret residents come in for that first couple of weeks, you know, mm-hmm. hoping to get a velvet and and what what not so um we don't have it have any experience hunting it more into october mm-hmm. so we don't know how the hunting pressure is once it comes to that time i bet it does shift a lot more to maybe more resident pressure versus non-resident right but we don't we don't personally know have that intel you know what i mean mm-hmm. so but yeah no it gets hunted hard and that that's the interesting th- thing though is that these deer have learned to survive they figured out places they feel safe and it's in these specific little spots it's kind of right in between pressure and 
and where they're coming from different the pressures coming from different directions and for whatever reason they're they, the deer hunters don't stay in this spot right you know what yep so for for whatever reason it may be and that's in the deer know that and they're like all right if i can hunker down i can just watch him walk by mm-hmm. and if he if he gets a little close i've got this route and this route of escape and more than likely i'm going to be safe in that escape mm-hmm. so that it's that that's the interesting part, part though is that it does get hunted really hard and yet we're still the bucks still feel safe enough to stay there mm-hmm. and be patternable so you're obviously you're looking for those areas where they feel safe enough to stay but how much uh stock are you putting into their like their escape route so if the pressure gets really high are you ever looking to hunt maybe those areas you think they feel safe getting out of sometimes yes um i don't necessarily think too much about about that for this september 2nd hunt Mm -hmm. um maybe if it you know drags on and i don't and i haven't got a tag on a deer and i'm two weeks into season then yeah, I, I'm going to take more stock into where he shifted. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Where he escaped. Um, but because we don't, we're not dealing with a lot of walkers per se. Mm-hmm. Um, I and the vegetation is really thick. I'm not taking as much stock into an escape route as I would be, say, opening day of rifle. Right. Yep. In, you, you know what I mean? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, in that, yes, I take a lot of stock into when it comes to actual rifle season. I take a lot of stock into escape routes versus um, core patterns. Where right now I want bed to food. Mm-hmm, if right. I can find a good bed to food, consistent pattern for that this guy, then I feel, then that's what I'm going to hunt. You know right. what I mean? Right. Um, how often do you see, I heard a guy talk one time about hunting public ground and he was talking about how he liked to hunt, uh, close to the private land that was around. And it would, I guess it maybe if you had some private ground that wasn't getting hunted a lot next to the public, that's probably where the deer are going to go when they feel pressured. But yeah, how much do you think there's truth to being able to, to kill bucks like that? And then do you see a lot of guys doing that anyway? Cause to me, that seems like something that would be not, I guess kind of obvious, but also pretty popular strategy for people because you just think when these bucks get pressured, where are they going to go? Well, they're going to go to the private ground. So yeah. do you see that a lot? Do you see guys hunting like that a lot? It does. It does get hunted like that quite a bit, especially with more and more people getting a little deeper mm-hmm. onto the properties. So um, they're still going to hunt middle. You know what I mean? Right. So if you're going to find a good a good spot that is close to private. Usually it's a very, very, very small, weird spot. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we have found spots similar to that. And usually there's some kind of draw or, um, you know, edge between fields. You know, you got, got this finger of woods that connects private to public. Mm-hmm. Th- those are, those are fantastic spots to hunt, but they do get hunted quite a bit. Right. So, you, so the spots that I found that actually produce like that are, like we just talked about, escape routes, and um, just weird, overlooked, random spots. That it's right. very, very small area that he's actually on, on public for a period of time. And um, I actually last year, I about shot uh, 170 on opening morning on an escape route mm-hmm. on a on a spot close to private but the, the way this this ridge top ran he wasn't on public for but for a couple minutes tops and he was on he was on a side completely away from um the public side mm-hmm. so, so if you weren't on this one spot you would never have known that that deer was ever right. there right uh, so um it's really interesting kind of that those those locations i try not to hunt too close to private because you know i don't want a deer to run over to private right. and and that you know you don't want to pressure pressure luck there and get you know mm-hmm. uh, just not respect the the boundary and whatnot but um yeah there, there are some spots that i found that there's a draw that leads out of the 
the private betting and he's he's running the edge on the public side mm-hmm. because there's mass trees there. Okay, yeah, that makes so sense. It's an, it's an interesting. It's that that one's hit or miss, honestly. Mm-hmm. So, but a lot of guys do use that tactic. Okay, I kind of figured they probably did, but you know, I don't hunt a bunch of public ground, so I figured you would know based on what you've seen. How are your other states looking right now as far as tra- cameras go? Have you have you done a lot? Uh, camera-wise, outside of Kentucky yet, uh, card pulls or even still cams. I haven't done any. So that, and and the and the reason for that is because of the shift. Like we were talking I, about I, earlier. We were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. I find almost no value in running cameras and putting the effort into mm-hmm. running cameras throughout the summer for a fall hunt. Right. I. I I take more stock in my postseason scouting. I'll make the trips during my postseason mm-hmm. and let them tell me via sign. And then I'll go in, say, late August or mid-September and run cameras. So that, that, that'll be my plan, you know, with Kentucky here. It's kind of all hands on deck trying to locate these bucks because they're not moving as far. Mm-hmm. And then I'll thin out those cameras or even completely pull them off of Kentucky and put them into into you know places like Illinois and you know I've got North Dakota coming up. Kansas is a little different this year because of the new law that went into effect. Where last year I was mm-hmm. able to run cameras, right? So that that'll be that'll be a little different. So I'll I'll just kind of play it by ear when it comes to how I I use my cameras from here on on out. Mm-hmm. But um, I'll set them on those scrapes I found during during my postseason scouting and those main ditch crossings and whatnot, if I'm able to, to actually run cameras. Right. So, um, yeah, that's kind of, I'm not, I actually haven't even started setting cameras for fall hunts right now. (laughs) So, uh, you're hunting all these States, obviously you don't want to waste any time. Which, which state are you going to be hunting in during the rut? Um, I'm kind of splitting my time. So, Kansas, I'm because it's closer, and I'm a resident. Mm-hmm. Um, Kansas will be my. I'm taking my time on right, right. that. Um, North Dakota, I'm gonna go out for a late October hunt, mm-hmm. and I'm actually gonna use the rut to my advantage mm-hmm. for that hunt because I'm probably only gonna get one trip. You right. know what I mean? Yep. And um, increase your odds uh, of getting lucky. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Increase my odds of getting lucky. Increase my odds of finding fresh movement mm-hmm. in the moment and setting up on it you know mm-hmm. what i mean so i'm gonna use the rut to my advantage there and then um illinois opens october 1st mm-hmm. yeah. so i mean I, I may go up there for an october 1st hunt yeah and I, i'm not counting that out and and hit that quote-unquote october lull and then that pre-rut really hard mm-hmm. there before the hunting pressure dramatically picks up right the end of October mm-hmm. and that's the th- thing like with the rut things happen really fast mm-hmm. so so you could you could shoot a buck in one state jump over and and within a week shoot another yeah if absolutely you're if you're prepared in that state yep that's and that's why I do so much postseason scouting like I do the, the only property I haven't done any scouting on is um, North Dakota because right. of the drive Right. So that that one will be in in the moment where we're scouting on the fly and hunting as we as we scout basically, you know, staying mobile and finding the fresh sign. Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell so, you this: um, if if you can at all, try to get it done in Illinois before November, before the first weekend before Thanksgiving. No, yes, <laughs> because that weekend's when all hell breaks loose and the Orange <laughs> Army comes out, and then after that, man, it's a crapshoot. And I can only imagine it, it, on public ground. <laughs> But I know even yeah. just on private, man, I got places that get hunted so hard around there yeah. that if I don't kill a buck before November 17th or 18th, whatever day it falls on, 19th, I'm pretty much chalking that one up as a loss because they're going to be ghosts after that. And where I hunt next to that public ground, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking after the first week of November, man, it just gets flooded with out-of-state hunters and mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. And you might as well just go find somewhere else to hunt. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Or try to catch them headed to the goose refuge. One, <laughs> <Yeah>. two. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. No, and that's so I. I'll use that that pre rut, and, and I'll hunt October hard. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, I'm going to spend time and, you know, I'm going to try to locate something in Kansas early if I can, cause you've got a September 13th opener. Yeah. Yep. Um, if I can, that'd be fantastic, you know, and, and get it done early on a buck that's still kind of on pattern, mm-hmm. but that, that's going to be an eyes on just play it, play it as it goes. Right. But I'll hunt, I'll hunt October really hard and, um, hopefully get a couple deer down during that time frame mm-hmm. um, and just make make quick work of it as much as possible well you so, could uh you'll probably have one on the ground say september 13th in kansas and you can well no sorry september 2nd or 3rd in kentucky hop over to kansas you'll have one killed on the 13th or 14th in missouri i mean they open on the 15th, so you'll have that done by the 20th. You hop over to Illinois. Well, my birthday is September 4th, so uh-huh. if he doesn't have the 10-pointer down by then, I, I give up on him. Yeah. Well, then, give up on me. Yeah. <laughs> then October 1st or 2nd, you have one down in Illinois, and that gives you like a whole two months to hunt Nebraska. So, I, you know, I'm not real sure what you're worried about. Yeah. <laughs> I love the, the, the positivity. Yeah, for sure. Wouldn't Hey, that would be – a wild turn in your slam is to do all opening days. You second, thirteenth, fifteenth, first, and then Nebraska or uh, North Dakota. <laughs> that would be insane. Yep. That, that that would be like I'm getting accused of poaching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we might I have to. Imagine the, I can only imagine the comments. Oh um, gosh, there'd yes. be some eyebrows yeah. raised. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100. percent I might have a game warden show up. My hey, dude. <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I'm just hunting hard, you bro. Can't, yeah, you can't be doing this legally. <laughs> yeah, right? Actually, I am. Here's, <laughs> the, here's right. the camera footage. Here's yeah. the camera footage. Yep. <laughs> uh, That's funny. Yeah. I love it. Hey, that is a, a honestly, though, all in all seriousness, I can't even say the word, seriousness, that is a plus, though, that uh, Kansas, which you're pretty familiar with, and Missouri both are early openers, even yeah. uh, with Kentucky, because that gives you two weeks where you're close you can pop over to a place um before illinois even opens and i don't know about uh, dakota is it is it october 1st opener as well no the, um north dakota is um is actually a velvet state okay I think it opens okay a couple of days before um kentucky mm-hmm. so so the, the actual the the reason i chose kentucky over north dakota is because i have history with right. kentucky yeah that that this velvet hunt is going to be significantly more difficult mm-hmm. than than a pre-rut hunt. Yeah, no doubt. So, so I would rather go to a property that I have some history with, mm-hmm. knowing knowing that it's going to be very difficult. So, um, um, that's why I chose Kentucky over North Dakota, even though North Dakota has a velvet hunt as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, um, yeah. I, and that, that's a, like you said too, is it's kind of set up where you could get a, a couple of weeks worth of hunting in Kentucky mm-hmm. and then, you, and then you've got Missouri and Kansas that you can spend some time in yeah. there before, before Illinois even opens. So yep. you, you've got some time maybe to, to do some hunt and see how the deer are moving and maybe even um, put one down, you know, before the, the low really kicks in and right. Illinois yeah, you don't um, even have to worry about should I be in Illinois right now? Should I be? I should be over there hunting instead of over here. Like you said, you got a two week window there where you could you can't be in Illinois anyway. Uh, yeah. So that gives you a pretty good. It's a little bit of peace of mind too. Just makes it a little easier to make decisions on where you should go. It, it does, and 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 my plan is to actually, um, you know, successful or not in Kentucky is to take cameras and immediately jump up to Illinois mm-hmm. and and start running immediately in Illinois while, while I'm it's not on the way at all right. but at least starts getting intel because if I can start gathering intel early maybe I do have an October 1st hunt mm-hmm. on on a decent deer you know going into that hard mast and when they shift into those more um, fall ranges my cameras are already there Say, say I set cameras September 10th, just throwing out a number. Mm-hmm. But the buck I'm hunting may not show up till September 20th or right. 25th. You, right. know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But when he does, my camera's going to be there. Right. And and there's my intel. So yep. uh, that that's kind of my plan going into 
into this is pull cans off of Kentucky and shift them over to Illinois directly after the Kentucky hunt, successful or not. Right. Yeah, and that's I've seen it both ways where some deer, some bucks in around here, or, you know, in Illinois or any state that opens on October 1st, I guess, will stay on their summer pattern uh, into the first week of the season, just depending on the weather we're getting and the pressure they're getting. And then I've also seen them even on private ground where I watched a specific deer like the 28th, 29th, and 30th of September in the same place every evening. October 1st rolled around. I never saw the deer again. Never I mean, saw him just, again, right? He just vanished on the, 30, on the 30th. He was just gone. It just yeah. happened to be when he changed his range, you know. So, but yeah. he was one day off of being one of those deer that stayed in their summer range just barely too long. Uh, but yeah. some of them shift early, some of them shift late. So it's not to say you couldn't get a picture of one on September 10th that you en- you end up killing on an opening day hunt if if you get up there for one. You know what I mean? Hundred percent. And and you know, so I'm going to go back to this this Kansas 10 point that I I I shot last year. I know we've talked about it, but mm-hmm. that was a cool thing. Is he actually? I learned a lot from that deer. Mm-hmm. is I started getting pictures of him around that September 10th time mm-hmm. and he was working scrapes already and but he was all nighttime movement mm-hmm. and then he daylighted for the first time he daylighted that first week of October mm-hmm. and that's when and and I started that's when I really started collecting data on him and he started becoming more regular right I fe- I find that interesting that he was that early in September, I was getting pictures of him working scrapes, and he was still on. That was his rut. That was his core ground. I shot him middle of November, mm-hmm. so um, it was very interesting actually um, following that deer throughout the throughout the year, finding yeah. him as I did, and he was still there mid November mm-hmm. on a regular pattern. He just started so, using it in daylight more, I guess, when the fall rolled around. He, he did. He started using it in daylight more often versus being maybe down closer to the ag fields. Mm-hmm. And some of that, I think, has to do, uh, like, with their testosterone levels. And some deer, it raises earlier than others. Uh, so they have a higher testosterone level earlier in the year. So they start doing that uh, more fall activity, I think, and it pushes them out. And that's obviously that's kind of what breaks up the bachelor groups, among other things, you know. Um, so if mm-hmm. he's one of those deer that stays around out of that bachelor group, maybe that's a possibility of what was going on there too. Yeah. And, you know, I never saw him running with any other deer mm-hmm. and, may- and maybe it was be- because he was running with deer, maybe closer to the ag fields, you know, with his bachelor right. group. And then at being the mature deer he was, maybe he broke off, mm-hmm. was touching, touching his fall ground and was visiting his fall ground, mm-hmm. even though maybe he was using the bachelor group a little bit more often during that September time. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? That intel I don't have. So right. I, I can't answer that, that one for, for you, but that, um, I can actually see that happen because I never got pictures of him with a smaller deer. Like you typically see during, during this, this time with bachelor groups. Right. He had it figured out that those old bucks, he was on overtime. So he was hanging out with the boys in the daytime. And then he was going, getting ready for the ladies, getting a head start on the ladies at night. Going and working his scrapes, yeah. It, it, that that was crazy. I, I I hadn't found natural occurring scrapes that early before. Mm-hmm. These weren't mock scrapes. These were natural occurring scrapes, and there was multiple. There were clusters of them in this area that he ended up staying in all fall, and I ended up shooting him on that same ridge. Mm-hmm. So the I mean the shit the scrapes shifted just a little bit, but they only shifted about fifty yards. Right. Same so, general area same general area yeah mm-hmm. so it was interesting and and i will say a big um find for that was there's a spring 100 yards away yeah so um, um that was a big tell too all the main movement and especially that big mature movement was over on that side closest to the spring mm-hmm. yeah so he had that prefer range set up already you yep. can tell he'd been there forever yeah no doubt so you had one of your whitetail workshops, uh, I believe it was last month. It's been a few weeks ago now, right? Yes. Um, you were talking about it the last time you were in here. So how did everything go out there? I know we talked about it a little bit, but how did everything go for the workshop? Um, and did you have a good turnout and everything? Yeah, it was fantastic. We had a great turnout. Um, everybody who came was super pumped to be there and came with questions. And that's what... 
you know, really fi- fired me up too, is that's mm-hmm. the whole, that's what it's all, all about. You know what I mean? So, you know, I don't like running workshops in a lecture style of, right. Of teaching. That's just not how I like to, to do things and, and whatnot. You know, I'd rather answer questions about your personal experience is what you want to know, mm-hmm. you know, in the mo- moment. And then I can answer that maybe from things that I've experienced and, and deer that I've shot in the past with similar circumstances. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's very, it, we introduced, you know, quite a few guys to saddle hunting for the first time, never sat in the saddle. Um, um, and few, few guys came that already been saddle hunting for a while, but wanted a few tips want to learn a couple things so it, it was a lot lot of fun um collaborating with everybody and um answering questions and, and really see, seeing kind of like the a light bulb go off where you know they were chasing a buck for a couple of years but haven't been able to um make it happen and seal the deal and then you're mm-hmm. like well what do you think about this right and there's a spot like that close by so i'm like oh maybe look at it mm-hmm you know, maybe try, maybe try, that'd be something to look into. You, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was a great turnout. Everybody ha- had a blast. It, it was hot, obviously, but man, it was, it was a good time. We had a good time. That's good. It man. was six hour day, man. It was a full, it was a full day <laughs> of talking nothing but deer. <laughs> hey, that's awesome. Uh, were these mostly guys that have been hunting a while was it some younger hunters as far as like in their hunting career not necessarily younger in age but uh was it a mix what'd you see as far as that goes it was was a little bit bit of a mix we had um probably half of the hunters that there were either brand new or only been hunting a couple years Mm -hmm. a few years Mm -hmm. and then then we had uh the rest of the group they've been hunting for a while but they haven't really tried pursuing more mature deer and they were wanting to start diving into that and start learning more how to harvest the more mature bucks Mm -hmm. and and also that's kind of what is more very beginner on into a little bit more novice intermediate deer hunter Mm -hmm. so it it was a really good mix and that's what made for a great actual conversation and and what and whatnot yeah and you got another one coming up soon, the 29th, I believe, which is uh, Deer Hunting Extravaganza and Whitetail Workshop. So it's going to be a similar event, I take it? Yeah, and that, that one's going to be a very similar event and a little bit different. Um, this last workshop and most of my workshops are going to be a longer day and just a small crowd, right? And we're just going to, we're just going to spend a lot of time talking and getting in the saddle mm-hmm. and walking property and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And th- this is going to be a little bit a little bit more similar to, to an expo. We're going to have some vendors mm-hmm. and we got mul- multiple speakers, including myself that are going to um, put on presentations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of that, that day, we won't spend as long of a workshop, but we'll do about half the time for a workshop for whoever else is interested in actually getting a little bit more in person learning a smaller group learning where it's not just me up there doing a presentation. You actually have, questions and things you want to know mm-hmm. you know if you want to and same thing with a saddle i'll always have saddles there and teach mobile hunting and what whatnot so it'll be very 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 similar to the to my normal workshops but a little bit shorter okay. so it's going to be kind of a fun deal we've got you know mineral guys showing up um seed companies they're going to be talking about you know fall food plots mm-hmm. um i think we've got some taxidermists coming mm-hmm. and um um an outfitter and whatnot and may- maybe a presentation for um tracking dogs and i got real knowledgeable with using his dog for um blood trailing and mm-hmm. and what so it's going to be a fun event and a little bit different than my typical whitetail workshop mm-hmm. but at the end of that we will have a normal workshop setting out there we'll have some saddles and 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 a little bit smaller group setting so that that, that one's going to be that one's going to be fun we're pretty pumped about um getting that completely organized and and we're working hard right now on spreading the word mm-hmm. so. that one's going to be in missouri right yeah that'll be higginsville missouri higginsville missouri okay yeah 
Yeah, definitely. I will link that. Uh, I'll put a link to that in the description of the episode as well. So anybody listening that is interested in that, whether you be from that area or outside of that area, you'll be able to find it real easy in the description. But um, whether we link that to your Facebook page or whatever it is, we'll make sure that they can find that. Fantastic. Yeah, I've got an event set up on my Facebook page that you can see all the details and also my um, um, website has all the details on it as well. You can, you can pop on over to either of those and you've got, you can see all the details and, and get, get your ticket bought. Cool. Cool, man. I'll, yeah, I'll definitely link that in the description so they can find it. Cause I think that's a really good opportunity. Um, listening to a podcast is great, but like I've done it before, I'll be listening to something and you'll think, well, what about this? And then it doesn't really get covered. And then you forget about it later. Like if you have a chance to go back and leave a comment or something, um, or on a Facebook group, like what we've got, you kind of forget about it. Whereas if you're live in person doing that and they got a question, it's just bam right there. You can answer it and address it. And that leads to other questions. I think it's a really good forum and I'd, I'd really like to see more of it. Uh, more guys that are, that would be doing that. Yeah. And I mean, I personally love the, the, um, set setting of those workshops because you learn from everybody's different experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got, this question pops up over here and you're in, and, and, um, and another guy's like, man, I never even thought about that. That's a great idea. Right. Or, you know, or, or, you know, you get to thinking about your particular property that you hunt or some deer you've chased in the past. You're like, Oh, okay. Well maybe if I did this instead of this, it would have been a more successful hunt. So, so I love that, that set setting, you know, like you said, the, the podcasts are awesome and YouTube videos are awesome, mm-hmm. but you don't get that in-person conversation. Right. Very limited and interaction. It is. And, and, you know, they're, they're fantastic, but they're, each scenario is individual. Mm-hmm. So like you know, when I get, you know, a comment or even a message, usually I follow up the question with multiple other questions to figure out the scenario. Right. Each scenario is a little bit different and can, and your tactics leading into those will be different. Mm -hmm. So, so, um, that, that is something that I, I love about that workshop setting is you can get more in detail with your, um, interaction and asking questions Mm -hmm. and really get in, dive in deep in what's going on in that, with that specific question. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Uh, I know we've done this before. And again, go back and listen to the other episodes we've had Austin on. We've talked about some different things. Um, and again, got his back kind of background on the first one we did. But go ahead and tell everybody, and I'll link this stuff too, but tell them where they can find you and uh, Tactical Approach Outdoors. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, um, YouTube, and TikTok at Tactical Approach Outdoors. And my website is tacticalapproachoutdoors.com. Um, got a lot of information I like to keep steady on my YouTube channel mm-hmm. and also something new I'm firing up. Um, our first whitetail webinar is July 17th Sweet. and that's over on my Patreon page. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's a whole new setup I have with deer hunter Academy. I'm going to put some different, um, um, educational videos on there that you won't see on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing is having those live Q&A webinars, which that's as close to the workshop setting as you can get. Right. With actually going to to a workshop. So so you know you've got basically it's like a podcast here, but it's an interactive Zoom call basically an inter- yeah. interactive um, podcast. Mm-hmm. So um, that those are a whole lot lot of fun and that that'll be great going through season because you know hey if you got a couple questions in the moment you got got a buck on on property and you're trying to figure out how to put them down but you need to kind of know that information now jump on that webinar and you know your experience you know may lead to somebody else's success as as well as yours yeah no doubt so no doubt jeff you got anything else for the man nope all right (laughs) hey we're getting excited about the season is coming up here in another well yours is coming sooner than ours so i know you're pumped and ready for it especially after what you saw what you found this past weekend so uh we'll definitely keep up with you on here we'll have you on again sometime if not before you go down there to kentucky sometime around that time uh we'd love to get you back in studio as well but then i've been enjoying keeping up with the the 
the Whitetail Slam episodes on YouTube as well, so keep those coming. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm going to keep those coming, and it's only going to get better this last half of the year. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We're getting down to the down to the nitty-gritty of it. We're, we're almost time. to that time. Yep, almost to go time. So, hey, man, again, appreciate you coming on. We'll have you back for sure. Always one of our favorites to talk to. Um, but we'll catch you again sometime soon. Sounds great. I appreciate you having me on.